Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Fulham in the Premier League to my Fulham in the Championship. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you this fine morning? I'm I'm absolutely fantastic. I'm absolutely terrified of of any club that has to face Fulham over the next few weeks. It's funny that you bring up Fulham, but yeah, they are frankly a scary, scary beast, aren't they? Justin, don't get too ahead of yourself. I'm sorry. Got, I'm sorry. I'm just I'm frightened. Show to fill. <laughs> I'm frightened. I'm terrified, and I, I feel like I've got to get off my chest early. Are they haunting you in your nightmares. It's all I think about when I go to sleep. Go to bed. It's, they're in my mind. Wake up. They're in my mind. Yeah, they're a they're a haunting beast. The, th- the thought of Mitrovic, Harry Wilson is just <laughs> running, chasing you around the streets with Marco Silva looming over in the sky. <laughs> Just threatening to score. Yes. Not even not even not even like exact any sort of physicality on me or beat me up or leave me to, for dead. They're just gonna score against me and embarrass me. That's what I'm scared of the most. I completely understand, and I think quite a few managers <laughs> will be having that dream also in the coming weeks. Welcome to the number one championship specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're gonna go through all the games from midweek in the championship. We've got four to go through, so we'll talk about all of them. In the news, we're gonna have a detailed chat about what's going on at Derby, who's at fault, what needs to happen, that kind of thing. Uh, we'll talk about Hull, they've been taken over as well. Uh, we're gonna talk about some of the transfer news from the past few days as well, and then we'll finish off as Simon Grayson's, not Simon Grayson's hateful eight, the Craig Bryson pub careers right at the end. Before we jump into the show, may I tell you, listener, about our friends at Fansbet, the fan-led sports betting company committed to supporting charities and causes which are important to fans. Do check them out by clicking the link in the description of this episode. They've got an exclusive offer for listeners to the second tier. You can get a welcome offer of bet £10, get £30 plus 10 free spins. UK mobile registrations only. Terms and restrictions apply. Full details on site. 18 plus. Please do gamble responsibly. Visit begambleaware.org for more info. And do also check out Fansbet Responsible Gambling Tools. Blackburn's winning run has come to an end after they lost 2-0 away at Hull. Justin, did you watch the game? And if so, what did you think of it? I did watch the game. I thought it was I thought it was an interesting game in terms of how Hull set up and how, how Blackburn struggled. Obviously there was a couple of decisions that went against Blackburn as well, but I think overall Hull Hull did deserve the win and I think it was just an off night for, for Rovers. But as far as the game went, it was it wasn't a too wasn't a bad way to, to introduce a new ownership for Hull. No, it definitely wasn't. Uh, there were a couple of decisions which Tony Mowbray was not best pleased about, to say the very <laughs> least. Uh, the I think the main one was Hull's second goal, where I can't remember which player it was for Hull, has essentially rugby tackled the goalkeeper out the way, where mm. uh, the other Hull player just knocked it into the goal without anyone guarding it. Uh, can you understand why Mr Mowbray was a bit annoyed about that one, Justin? Yeah, I can understand and I completely agree with him. Um, I think the penalty can go either way, but this one was a stonewall of a foul as you as you'd see and and, you, um, and we're talking about an age where goalkeepers get a lot of protection um and a lot of stupid decisions go their way that aren't anywhere near fouls and then you've got this one which is so far on the other end of the spectrum um that it should have been a foul it should have been it should have been disallowed and and it might have changed the game it you know it might have got the um uh, it might have got Blackburn uh, up up and running because they they struggled um, throughout the game, but that's thanks to Hall's hard work rather than 
Blackburn being really, really poor. But yeah, definite, definite foul. Don't know what the referee's thinking there. Yeah, the whole player as well had his eyes locked on the goalkeeper during the whole time as well. So yeah. it was as blatant as it gets. Really. <laughs> I can completely understand why Tony Mowbray was so outraged by it. The other one was the penalty on Ben Brereton Diaz, mm. which was also turned down. I think the score was 1-0 at the time. What did you make of that one, Justin? <clears throat> I... I think it was a penalty. Um, I can understand why the referee may not have given it because it wasn't quite in Brereton's back. I think it was Bernard, wasn't it, that um, that, that committed the non-foul. Um, it wasn't quite in his back, but it was excessive force and it obviously did push Brereton completely off the ball. Um, so that was a foul for me, but I, I, do, I do understand why the referee may not have given it. Yeah, for that, that one for me was 50-50. I wouldn't have been too arsed if the referee gave it, but at the same time, I am not outraged that he didn't give it. I think in the first one, VAR would have ruled out the second Hall goal. I don't think VAR would have made that penalty yeah. if uh, it stayed as it, as it was. So, yeah, I think while Blackburn fans may be outraged by that particular decision, I, I'm not really too fussed about it, to be quite honest. But you were saying Blackburn were a bit unlucky here. Well, not maybe not unlucky, but we're just having an off day is worth pointing out they didn't play particularly well against Cardiff either so do you think maybe this is the end of their momentum I don't I don't think it's the end of their momentum as such I think it's just a case of um it's been a busy period you know games are starting to to level out essentially um and, and they've got a bit of catching up to do in terms of the, the games that were postponed as well I just think teams may have cottoned on a little bit and then you've got Hull and Cardiff two teams that are sort of fighting for their lives in terms of trying to stay away from the relegation zone so they're going to be a lot more defensive than other sides will be in the division um, I think they've just set up quite deep Hull were quite deep here they worked hard off the ball they made it as difficult as they, as they could for, for Blackburn um, and one of Blackburn's strengths is, is turnover of play getting the getting the ball up the pitch very quickly uh, and exploiting the spacing behind Hull didn't allow that Cardiff didn't allow that either um, so I think it's more of a case of they were just both sides were just tactically spot on I think Tony Mowbray's got to find a way to get around it when teams do work defensively um, against them as Cardiff and Hall did um, that he's got an answer for it I, I disagree obviously I've been sceptical about Blackburn during this run and my question has always been what will happen when this winning run ends because it was going to end eventually wasn't it? it wasn't going to go on for the end of the season yeah. and how will they respond to that and I worry that they may go back to the team that they were before this winning run started, which wasn't a bad team by any means, but was average or probably good is probably a kind of way of putting it. But it is worth pointing out they have had some kind games in the past few weeks. They've had Barnsley, Black, uh, Birmingham, Cardiff, Hull, all teams lingering in or around the relegation zone. And now the fixtures really stiffen up. They've got Middlesbrough on Monday, then they've got Luton are in great form, Forest, West Brom, Sheffield United... Really tough games for Blackburn. And this is going to be a really, really big test of their mettle. And as I've said constantly, I am sceptical about that and how they will respond to that. Because there are a lot of teams going for the playoffs at the moment. A lot of teams. And if you slip up and continue to slip up again and again, you will be made to pay for it. Which is why I've been so sceptical about Blackburn over this time. Um, and they've got to pull the finger out because they have been poor in the last two games. I think so anyway. Um, they may say they were unlucky against Hull, but Hull could have made it three as well, couldn't they? They, had, mm. they missed a glorious yeah. chance. So, yeah, Blackburn concerned about and now 
they've got to really, really step up soon. Otherwise, they will be caught up by other teams. But, Justin, let's give a lot more praise to Hull because I don't think we've given it enough, really. It's their first win in six. So very timely for them, especially with the takeover being complete now. So it was a bit of a party atmosphere, wasn't it, up in Hull. Uh, they're seven points clear of the bottom three now. And I've been noticing recently, Justin, that when you've been talking about teams who Derby could potentially catch up with, you've been mentioning the likes of Cardiff and Reading. Are you intentionally leaving out Hull because you think <laughs> they'll stay up? Or do you just forget about them? Um, I think it's a bit of both. I do forget about them and I do... <laughs> And I mean that in a, in, a, in a good way, and it doesn't sound it, but I think I think Hull are in this position where I don't think they will get pulled into the bottom three, but I don't think they'll push any higher than than they currently are. So I think they're just flatlining where they are, which isn't a bad thing for Hull because first first season up in the in the championship after a promotion from League One um, is always a difficult one for teams who don't have a lot of funds to spend, and they haven't who haven't under under Alams. That might change now, but. Hall are now in a position where they they can probably strengthen in two or three areas um, between now and the end of um, the transfer window. So I don't I don't I don't think Hall will drop into the bottom three. Um, Peterborough are really poor, Barnsley are really poor, and what's going on at Derby at the moment probably puts them back into a position of relegation certainties. Although you can't rule it out. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think I don't think they're they're poor enough to go down. I just don't think they're good enough to go any higher at the moment. I see what you mean. I'm looking at Cardiff and Reading and thinking to myself, you two are really struggling at the moment. Where recently I've liked what I've been seeing from Hull, even though results haven't been going their way. I haven't looked at them and thought, you guys are really, really struggling. Yeah. I think George Honeyman coming in has changed a lot, <laughs> yeah. hasn't it? He has been yeah. fantastic since he's come in. But now that they've got the new ownership, there's, what, 10, 11 days left of the transfer window. I'm not sure how much moves they've actually made in terms of looking at new players. But now they've got these new owners who I imagine will want to make a mark and try and bring in some new players. Maybe that may revitalise Hull and they can get some new blood in. Um, I think they need a striker, definitely. And I know they have been linked with some from abroad. So if they manage to get those players in, then Hull could very easily stave away from relegation, couldn't they? So yeah, Mm -hmm. um, I'm feeling a bit more optimistic about Hull, but I'm going to reserve judgment just for now. Uh, Sheffield United threw away a 2-0 lead to draw 2-2 away at 10-man Preston. And at half-time, I was watching this and thinking, here we are, Sheffield United, they're back. Then it all went to pot quite spectacularly, really, <laughs> didn't it, Justin? Yeah, it's one of the games with football manager, isn't it, where you go 2-0 up relatively quick, um, opposition goes down to 10-man, you think, right, this is easy, I can put my feet up, don't have to concentrate too much. And then... It all goes to shit very quickly, um, and you don't capitalise on your on your um, dominance. Essentially, Sheffield United had a lot of chances. It wasn't a game they should have lost um, by any means. I thought Preston played well, but up until up until the up until the red card and, and the goal, um, that's when you know Sheffield United should have really taken charge. Obviously, going two 0 up is a is a big plus, but you don't lose a game to ten men. Um, at 2-0 up you just can't especially if you've got aspirations of finishing the top six um, so yeah it's a really poor result for Sheffield United and a, and a massive massive draw and you know shows a lot of um, shows a lot of minerals for, for Preston under Ryan Lowe they, they went they went for it they, they they gave Sheffield United a lot to think about even at 10 men so massive praise to, to Preston as well as we're pointing out Rian Brewster missed a massive chance and that was when the score was 2-0 and then yeah. Preston scored I think literally five minutes afterwards so if that went in, that could have really been the death knell for Preston and fine margins in the championship, isn't it? If you 
missed chances mm. like that, then you're asking for it. Um, but after the game, Paul Heckingbottom said they threw it away and that he was sick, as you'd think he was, times 10. So hopefully he feels a bit better soon. But when you consider <laughs> the fact Preston had 10 men for nearly half the game, the chances Sheffield United missed as well, it really is a spectacular collapse, isn't it? And in general, it's not been a good start to 2022 in general for the Blades, has it? Yeah, it's quite sluggish, hasn't it? The, the defending, I think, is the issue because under the, the first few games, you look at that Fulham game, um, they were so organised, so tactical, so disciplined. Um, everyone played the brawls to a, to a T, but going into that derby game in the new year, I know there's a massive gap between games, which I, I, I do believe that hasn't helped Sheffield United at all under Hacking Potton because all the momentum they gained before the new year is, is completely gone. They've had to start again, essentially. Um, so these first couple of games coming out of um, coming out of uh, coming into New Year, sorry, yeah, it, it is. I guess a bit like a, a little bit of a pre-season for them. Um, they've got to get the games out of the way. They've got to get the good performances back into the team. Um, but as I say, the defending I think has been has been the big issue. I know they didn't create too many chances against Derby um, the other week, but at the same time. Um, they're also conceding uh, yeah, a fair amount of chances. They're conceding goals as well. They're allowing teams into the game. Um, they've got to assert dominance a lot more. They didn't against Derby and they didn't hear against Preston. It'd be wrong of us not to give a large amount of praise to Preston, wouldn't it, Justin? I think you've given a fair amount already, but I think they deserve a bit more than that because <laughs> they could have easily rolled over here, couldn't they? But they stayed resolute and hats off to Ryan Lowe and the boys for doing that. But he, he has done a good job so far, NC. It's very early days, but unbeaten while he's been in charge and most importantly he's brought a sense of optimism to Deepdale hasn't he something that's not been there for quite some time now and I think that's all Preston fans want from this season a sense that the players are buying into what Ryan Lowe is trying to do and then they've also got a clear style of play because we all know Preston aren't going to do anything this season now I think that's fairly known across the board but as long as fans can see that the foundations are starting to come together of something special I think that's all that matters and will stand them in good stead in the long term so certainly positive signs for Preston Justin yeah there's there's a lot to pull from this game alone uh, as I say that the character to fight back at 10 uh, with 10 men at 2-0 down is is brilliant even before I think Sheffield United scored uh, Preston created a number of chances that Arguably, they should have put away. Um, so even before they went out to 10 men, they were still good value for a result. Um, and yeah, as I say, that the character that they're showing in games, it's it's a lot more than that they've shown over the last sort of year, even under Alex Neal. So as you say, I think the optimism is probably the, the most important thing um, because you can take that into next season and build from there and, and, then, and then go from there. And then who knows what happens um, from that point. So yeah, massive pluses for Ryan Lowe at the moment. Still a long way to go, but certainly really good foundations put in place by him absolutely a brilliant cross by Chad Evans for the equaliser as well mm. if you're making the case Justin for headers being included in goal of the season then pinpoint crosses like that should get more recognition for assist of the season because that was spot on Fulham 6 Birmingham 2 Fulham become only the sixth team in English league history to score six goals or more in three consecutive games. The first was Smallheath in 1893. I remember it well. Uh, they've mm. scored more goals in three games than West Brom have since August and have scored more goals this season than Barnsley have all season. So they're scoring for fun, I think it's fair to say. But it is also now four goals conceded in two games, Justin. I might be really scraping the barrel here, but... Is that something to be worried about potentially? I think 
when you look at the goals that were scored, uh, the Semenya goals were both against the run of play. They committed players forward. Um, Bristol City hit him, hit him on the break twice. So that, that's going to happen in games. And these two goals against Birmingham City, I know Birmingham City had a couple of chances that they should have put away, but most of the chances Birmingham created, they were shots from outside the area. Um, like Gary Gardner's goal was so pinpoint. It was so, so pinpoint and outside the area. And Sonny Inches was, was an absolute thunderbastard from outside the area. So... Not too much to worry about. Um, I think teams have just scored very good goals against them. You'd argue that Fulham have been quite unlucky, actually, uh, in terms of how they've conceded the goals. Yeah, I'm just trying to find any scrape or any speck of concern for Fulham, really, because they have been absolutely brutal in the last three games, haven't they? And that's the main reason why we have been saying it. we see it very unlikely that Fulham would be outside the top two come the end of the season. And... There just isn't too much to say about them at this point, is there? You look at the table now, five points clear. They've still got a game in hand on Blackburn. No one else has got a game in hand on them, though. And they've now caught up with the teams around them. And they could very easily toddle off with the league at this point because they've got a very kind run of games. They're in the midst of it now, but they're not stiffening up anytime soon. Just lacking things to say about Fulham. They're just unbelievably good, aren't they? They are. Um, they're just this this one walking Ralph Wiggum meme, aren't they? Yeah, stop. He's already dead. That sort of thing. It's it's that going into every game, isn't it? Um, but the fact that they've scored seventy goals so far and there's still twenty games left in the season um, is is absolutely frightening. Only twenty three conceded. Um, it's it's completely bonkers that we're seeing a team <laughs> be able to do this in the last three games. Uh, it's completely wild, you know. I don't think we'll see it again. I don't think well, we haven't seen it before, and we won't we won't see it again because a team to attack with the intensity and um, ruthlessness that Fulham do is is quite scary. I think I go back to that Cabano goal um, against Birmingham, where it just, just everything just happened perfectly for him. The ball, the way the ball sat up, his finish, um, it, yeah, it was brilliant. Um, I know Birmingham City's defending for me was quite poor on, on occasion. I think I don't think they helped themselves, but. Fulham are, Fulham are going to sniff out weakness um, very, very quickly. And that's, a, that's the mark of a, a top, top team. They're like a brutal predator, aren't they? I will just correct you, actually, before you get Twitter uh, complaints that it wasn't Ralph Wiggum who said the stop, he's already dead quote. It's a similar voice, but it's not him. Um, I'm a Simpsons nerd, Justin, don't question me. Okay. Uh, Fabio Carvalho had a great game as well. It's almost like he might be playing for a move somewhere else. <laughs> putting out there because um, yeah, he, he's he's someone who's not I wouldn't say being a passenger but he's not been as good as he was earlier in the season has he until quite recently when Fulham have gone on this scoring run so he suddenly has burst back into life and he's playing like the unbelievable talent that we saw earlier in the season so that's good to see as well it's just difficult to really comment on Fulham at this point now they're just taking teams apart and doing it with ease really and kind of Tying in with that, it's difficult to really say much about Birmingham as well, isn't it? Because I don't think many people are expecting anything other than a Fulham win here and just they kind of laid over, really, didn't they? <laughs> Apart from scoring the two goals. Well, that, that's what it felt like, isn't, isn't it? And I think that's quite a, a big criticism of, of the way Birmingham City defended at times. I think I go to the, the third goal, which is Carvalho's header. Uh, Carvalho must be five, five foot five, five foot six, very small. Um, and these Birmingham City players are, are good players. 
uh, sorry, defenders are they are good defenders, um, but they've allowed Carvalho to ghost in at the front post unmarked. Um, he shouldn't be winning a header. And the fourth goal, I think Wilson runs past three players while he's in the central position on the edge of the area. Shouldn't be allowed to happen. You've got to be more aggressive, and that's what you've got to be against this Fulham team. You've got to be aggressive. You've got to let them know that um, you're not going to allow them to do whatever they want. Birmingham City allowed that for me, and I think that's yeah, that's quite a big criticism for for the way they played, especially in the first half. Luton won two 0 away at Reading. Tom Holmes' own goal was very good—a superb diving header, lacking in comical fashion though. So it gets a solid two out of ten <laughs> on the Chris Brass own goal scale of kicking it against your own face. Um, but continue to be concerned about Reading, Justin. They are really, really struggling at the moment and just hovering above the bottom three. I, I'm at this point. I'm surprised Velko Panovic has still got his job. Are you? Uh, I am. Um, I will continue to defend Paunovic because I think he's been given uh, a bad set of cards, essentially, um, let's be honest. But at the same time, um, sometimes things need freshening up and this is certainly one of those scenarios that needs freshening up. Uh, and I think that comes down to the ownership uh, of the club. I just don't think they've got a plan. Um, and that's that's essentially making Reading suffer because you look at this game, we were, we were at the start of the season, Reading were conceding goals, conceding chances at will, um, and they've fallen back into that um, mould very, very hard, haven't they? And they're conceding chances, conceding goals at will, and they come up against a Luton team who, they're a good side, don't concede chances to them, and, and, and they won't score. It's essentially, it's essentially as easy as that. Um, but Reading have made it, made it very, very easy for them, and I've uh, got no idea where they go from here. They've got two points from six games now. It is relegation form, isn't it? And mm-hmm. they would be in the relegation zone had it not been for Derby's points deduction. But it is worth pointing out Reading also had a points deduction and would be quite clear of the relegation zone if it wasn't for that. However, even if they hadn't had the points deduction, you would be saying that's relegation form and they'd be looking over their shoulder. So the fact they have had the points deduction means they're looking over their shoulder even more, if you see what I mean. Uh, to be fair to Reading, they are playing youngsters, aren't they? Who probably wouldn't be given the game time had it not been for the African Cup of Nations. But it's worth pointing out, we have known for, for quite some time now, AFCON is happening in January. So mm-hmm. why they didn't have players ready to step in, I'm not too sure or whether they thought those youngsters would be capable of stepping in. But it's clearly not working because it's three straight losses on the bounce now as well. And they've looked fairly dire in that time. So massive, massive concern for Reading Knight right now. I think if you're a Derby County fan, you are definitely eyeing them up as the team to overtake, aren't you? Because, I mean, we're talking eight points uh, difference between the two now, but Reading are so poor while Derby are absolutely flying. Uh, Luton Justin, they've got 10 points from a possible 12 in the last four games, seven points off the top six, and also have games in hand on virtually every other team in the division. Um, I will say I find it unlikely that they would get into the playoffs this season. I think Luton fans are also saying the same thing. But again, we can't give enough praise to the job that Nathan Jones is doing at the club, can we? Yeah, I, I mean, I say it almost every week that this team epitomises what, exactly what Jones wants out of them. They're hardworking, they're organised, but at the same time, they play nice football. Um, they've got really good players. Uh, Adebayo, I think for me, is is one of the best strikers in the division because I don't think any defender, no matter how good you are, how much you how much you cost your club or how much you get paid, you're going to have a torrid time against him. He's going to make it really, really hard for you. Um, and it's the same with the likes of Alan Campbell. You know, the, a lot of this team is recruited on on free transfers and very, very small fees. Um, but they, they play like a team who 
cost you know, tens of million pounds. Uh, the quality that they put out, you look at Naismith and, and the quality that he puts out, for example. Um, they're a very, very good side. They're a team that you should be concerned when you come up against them because they're going to work harder than you. That's a fact. Um, don't think Nathan Jones will allow anything else. Um, so you've got to make sure that, you're, that, you, that you match them. And if you don't match them, you lose and Reading didn't match them here Bournemouth didn't match them on Saturday um, and Luton pipped them to results when I say pipped them that's a disservice they they deserve both results massively Justin let's have a break after that we'll have a detailed chat about the situation at Derby and talk about some of the other news from the past few days Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast, and now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news, and let's talk about Derby, shall we, Justin? A lot of statements being issued recently on the situation there. Mm -hmm. The EFL released a rather strange statement where they answered a load of questions... The one that stood out the most to a lot of people is, does the EFL have a vendetta against some of its member clubs? Which it, of course, said no. Um, any thoughts on that statement, Justin? It was a, a, a rather strange one, wasn't it? Yeah, it's it was a long statement and it, it did show clarity in, in, in some areas, but at the same time, it, it contradicted itself massively compared to previous statements that the EFL put out throughout the last um, seven or eight months. So that's problematic in itself and then you get to the end of that statement and it has to clarify whether or not it dislikes a club that it governs um i think that is quite telling of the situation that we're in at the moment um but at the same time um it, it, I, i'm really struggling for words as to you know it's very hard to stay impartial and not get passionate about it but there's a lot that needs to be answered for that the efl still haven't answered um that statement didn't cover nearly half of it even though it was a very long statement, a 2,000 word statement. so, And it was released very late in the evening as well, which again is is quite telling in itself. For me, it didn't really tell us much that we didn't already know. Exactly. And it continues to just add more confusion to the Derby fan base who are not really sure who is mostly to blame for this whole situation. But elsewhere, Middlesbrough and Wickham say they are willing to compromise in their action for compensation against Derby. In a statement, Borough said it's made clear that it does not wish to see Derby fall into liquidation and are happy to be realistic in their expectations to help the Rams complete a takeover deal. Meanwhile, Wickham owner Rob Kuhig told BBC Radio Derby he empathised with Rams fans, but his club were not the bad guys. It's said in numerous reports that any potential new owner of Derby would be reluctant to take over the club with the legal claims on the table, which is undoubtedly the main blockade here, isn't it, Justin? And why the possibility of Derby actually going into liquidation has rapidly increased in a, in the matter of days, really, hasn't it? Yeah, and this is why the, the EFL has to put the, the foot down. Uh, for example, if they were as tough on this scenario as they were as they have been on, on the likes of Derby and Reading over the last uh, eight months, then this would have been solved a long time ago. Um I think it, it raises a lot of questions. Whatever happens to Derby, um, you know, if the worst happens or, or they, they are taken over, I think what needs to happen is the EFL needs to reform badly. There needs to be an independent regulator appointed 
urgently um, because they've showed with this administration, with the Wigan administration, with the Berry administration, that they are not fit for purpose. Um, you know, there's a lot of finger pointing for, and for a governing body to not accept any responsibility at all for the situation um, that's arisen. For example, in 2018, it was re- the, the the Derby's accounting policy was reported to them. They ignored it. Um, that you know, that's that's very well known. Um, so you know, the fact that they've ignored uh, something that was reported to them that would have seen them avoid all of this, avoid all these uh, lawsuits, etc. They'd have, they'd have been in a better place. So that for me is, is exactly why the EFL needs needs to change. And this could happen to any football club. It's happened to Wigan, Barry, as I said. And it most likely at the minute, the odds are not swinging in Derby's favour. It will happen to Derby as well. So yeah, this it's a big, big warning sign for a lot of football clubs that fans should sit up and go, actually, this can't happen to my football club. Things need to change. Yeah, I'll get on to my thoughts on the EFL very shortly but you're right there does seem to be a lot of finger pointing on here and you know passing the book from all the different parties but the more I think about it I just can't see what Steve Gibson in particular is trying to accomplish at this point because that's the main thing isn't it that I've been reading what the MPs have been saying and they've been saying that it's the Middlesbrough one which is really stopping anything from happening the main thing I got from that statement Borough said is basically no, no, no. Of course, we don't want Derby to go out of business. All they've got to do is pay a nice small fee of £40 million and we'll leave them to it. It's pathetic and petty for my money. The, the biggest question I'd have for Steve Gibson is, does he not realise that the fans have done nothing wrong here? That's ultimately who's being punished for this situation. It was Mel Morris and his cronies who were the ones who were cheating, as he put it in the statement. Not anyone who has, who has an active role at the club now. So why does Gibson want to take the money out of Derby? If he's going to sue anyone, why doesn't he go after Mel Morris? That's what I don't understand here. I'm not a legal expert, but I don't understand that, Justin. At this point, I think it makes Gibson look like he's just kicking someone while they're down. And I've seen Borough fans saying Derby needs to be punished for cheating. Firstly, listen back to what I said. Secondly, they've had a 21-point deduction and multiple transfer embargoes. They've been punished loads. They've been punished more than any championship club ever has. So how can they be punished more by going out of business? That's mental thinking. And thirdly, Derby aren't the only club who've been bending the financial rules. You've got Villa and QPR as prime examples of sides who are spending heedlessly, but because they actually got promoted, it's deemed that it doesn't count for some bizarre reason. And actually, final thing, uh, who made Steve Gibson in charge of choosing who cheated and who didn't? Surely that's up to the EFL who at clearly this point are just standing back and saying, I'm just going to let them, those two fight it out. If you look at this from a neutral perspective, Steve Gibson is coming across as a massive bully in my eyes. And I don't see what the end goal here is for him, apart from making Derby go into liquidation. I can't see what else he's trying to do. If he and Middlesbrough truly care about whether Derby are liquidated or not, he'd either call this whole thing off or direct his legal claims elsewhere. Simple as that. Or dramatically lower down his expectations in terms of money. But I'm struggling to see how, if that's actually going to make Derby attractive to potential new investors. So that's my little rant on it. But sticking with Derby, the issue was spoken about in Parliament on Tuesday, wasn't it? And I don't know if you watched it, Justin. If I worked for the EFL, then I would have been not too comfortable watching that because it was basically an hour of the EFL being slammed. It was quite brutal, wasn't it? 
It, it was. You've got 20-odd MPs laying into a governing body, deeming it essentially uh, not, not fit for purpose. It, it, that is that is the, the, the common line. That is the, the absolute takeaway here is the EFL are not um, are not able to, to govern their own uh, their own league. I've seen owners say it themselves. I've seen officials say it, and now we've seen MPs say it. The football report um, that Tracy Crouch, again an MP that, that that she led, she also said it. Essentially, um, it's it's frightening that we're we're getting all of this, um, and we're barely getting any, anything out of the EFL in terms of clarity and. Um, and uh, ability to put their foot down essentially and be a governing body um they haven't done that they've admitted that their own rules are open to interpretation um you know it's what allowed wigan to uh go into administration essentially you know they were taken over a few weeks later they're into administration why can't the efl um you know protect clubs that's that's their job they're, they're there to protect clubs the rules that they put in place are not protecting clubs they're making things worse we're still seeing clubs overspend and make massive losses and still we're in this position um where we're seeing clubs going to administration we will see in in the current state that the afl are in we will see more clubs fall off it's as simple as that they have not learned their lesson they need to change i completely agree and i think this moment that we're in right now is not just important for the future of Derby but I think it's also important for the future of the EFL because as far as my money goes if Derby go out of business that'll be the end of the EFL I think they will cease to exist because it will be the it'll be the dagger blow won't it if Dar- if a club like Derby County went out of business a massive club we're talking about here the one of the biggest in the EFL that would be it for the for them i just cannot see how they would be allowed to continue knowing that a massive massive club like derby have gone out and the fl have been embarrassing with how they've dealt with the situation they are just letting middlesbrough walk all over them and not they're in charge of middlesbrough they they are in charge of everything that goes on in the football league but at the moment they're just taking a sidestep and saying just let these two fight it out and that's why i just cannot see how they can continue if Derby do go out of business, which is a very, very, very real possibility at the moment. And I'm lost for words at this point, Justin. Just, just two points to add there. <laughs> um, the, the the Barry situation should have seen the end of the EFL. Um, flatly, the, the, the Barry situation should have seen the, the end of the EFL. Um, and when we say the end of the EFL, obviously a new governing body will then take its place, not the end of the English Football League in general. Um, and then secondly, you're quite right in the, the sense that they're allowing Middlesbrough and Wickham to dictate what the EFL do. And that shouldn't be that shouldn't be the case because they're essentially allowing two football clubs to decide the future of one football club. I understand why they're suing them. I don't think their claims are, 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 are that valid. Um, but at the same time, they're making the the AFL's rules look completely pointless. What's the point in the AFL if if two clubs can dictate the future of one football club? It, it it's it's laughable. Exactly. Rick Parry, Trevor Birch need to grow a backbone and sort out this situation as soon as possible. But they're not, and I think their futures are massively in doubt at this moment in time. Another takeover takeover news, Justin Hull. That's finally been complete. Turkish businessman Akun Ilikali takes over from the Alam family. 
took a bit longer than people were expecting. I think people were thinking it was actually going to be finished before the new year, but I don't think Hall fans will be complaining, will they? Because they've not been very happy under the Alams for quite some time. So to have a new owner now, hopefully this takes the club in a positive direction because they've not been in a positive direction for quite some time, have they? Yeah, it's it's been ten years, hasn't it? Um, and and seven of those have been very very stressful for Hull fans. So I'm, I'm absolutely delighted for them that they've been able to get this over the line because they're a, they're a good football club. They've got a really good, really good passionate fan base. Um, I know some people disagree with me there, but you know they 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 really do um, love their football club from from fans that we spoke to as well. So delighted for them and I hope as you say that it takes them into a positive direction uh, because as I say the the, the ownership that um, the Alums ran uh, again was another one that you know raised a lot of a lot of eyebrows they still funded the club but there was no love there and that's when that's when uh, apathy starts to develop from from football supporters to, towards their own football club so yeah delighted that they can get it over line and hopefully a new chapter uh, a new chapter for Hull. There's certainly a club to keep an eye on over the next month or so because it's going to be interesting to see what they do with the manager there's been a lot of interpretation mm-hmm. about what they've said in the past about having Turkish people at the club um, their words not mine um, so yeah we'll see what they have to, what that actually involves and also they've been linked with loads of players from abroad over the past month or so so whether they're a very busy side in the remaining days of the transfer window will be interesting to see speaking of transfer news and the Athletic says Swansea have agreed a deal to take Borussia Mönchengladbach Gladbach midfielder Hans Wolf on loan you texted me about this signing Justin because it's quite exciting isn't it he only moved to Gladbach last year for 8 million quid yeah he's a, a very good playmaker um He's a, he's a player with a big reputation as well. He's had a couple of really serious injuries that's probably hampered him a little bit. So I moved to, to Swansea might see the best out of him. But yeah, he's, he's certainly a player that if he, if that deal does go through, I'm keeping a I'm keeping a close eye on Swansea because he could be the difference between finishing sort of lower mid table to on the precipice potentially of the playoffs if if Swansea are able to bring in a few more players because he's really a top top talent. So and he's got a great name as well, Hans Wolf. Whoa, what a name. Sounds like a Bond villain, doesn't he? Yeah, it does. It does. Um, but yeah, good signing if it happens. Yeah. If it does happen, I'm very interested to see how he does. He's been very highly thought of abroad, hasn't he, for quite some time. So yeah, definitely want to keep an eye on. And Swans have got a very good record with loan players, haven't they? They mm-hmm. don't sign many dud deals in terms of loans. So yeah, I'm very excited to see how he does, if he does indeed go to Liberty Stadium. Speaking of Swansea, Jake Bidwell has now left the club to go to Coventry. Blackburn have signed winger Dylan McConday from Tottenham. I think he made his debut for... Rovers last night. Robin Olsen's loan at Sheffield United has been terminated. He's gone to Villa instead. That was a signing that turned out to go the complete opposite way of how I expected, Justin. Yeah, it was uh, an interesting one. I think maybe we, we all expected him to be uh, pretty decent, but I guess uh, well, it just it just didn't work out. There were some really, really bad mistakes made um, by him in goal, uh, which, you know, as a goalkeeper, sometimes they lead to goals, which isn't always ideal. Um, but, I mean, it's quite quite damning that he's been replaced by a, a second-choice keeper, maybe a third-choice keeper in Fodderingham, but fair play to Fodderingham, who's been brilliant, but, you know, Olsen gets a, another move elsewhere so yeah bit of a bit of a weird one but it's done Reading keeper Rafael Cabral has had his deal mutually terminated so he can move back to his native Brazil Stoke defender Danny Bart has gone to Sunderland human tree Matt Smith has left Millwall to go to Salford a strange move for me but I tell you what we're not a League 2 podcast Justin but that is a ridiculous (laughs) move for a League 2 side isn't it 
yeah, he, he scores goals, doesn't he? And uh, he's arguably, uh, for my money, the, the the best target man um, in the in possibly in the, well, possibly in the championship in terms of just his percentage of winning headers. Maybe not goal scoring, but just dominance in the air is what I'm trying to say. Um, so for a League Two type, League Two side to get him um, is quite something. So you know, I did I did shed a tear. I know Forest and Birmingham City fans didn't. The amount of goals he scored against those two to, to, those two sides. So. Yes, it's quite sad to see Matt Smith go, but you know he's going to score 30, 40 goals down there. It does help in the air when you're eight foot. So yeah. right, him in League Two, that's <laughs> going to be a serious, serious signing. And finally, Carl Jenkinson has left Forest to go on loan to Melbourne City and Australia. Hands up if you forgot Carl Jenkinson was still playing in the Championship, because I certainly did. Right, now it's time for this. All right, all right. Settle down, you lot. It's time for the Craig Bryson pub quiz. Thank you, Mr. Bartender. This is a game where Justin and I try to guess a mystery championship legend. This week, I'm giving Justin six clues on a player who's made at least 200 championship appearances. All he's got to do is try and guess who it is. The score for the season is 9-6 to myself. Justin desperately, desperately needs to get this right and claw some back some points. But of course, we're making these a tad more obscure now. So let's see how he gets on with this one. Justin, you ready for the first clue? Yeah, I think so. I have made 220 championship appearances, scoring nine goals. Ah, no. Is that bad? Ah. Yeah, because it's either a defender or like a holding midfielder or really, really crap striker. Um, really I'm crap gonna... striker. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with um, uh, Daryl Russell. It's not Daryl Russell, but good to have mentioned. I made my debut for Newcastle in the year 2000. Is that it? That's it. Andy Griffin. It's not Andy Griffin. (sighs) I had a series of loan spells before making the controversial move across the time to Sunderland. (sighs) There are quite a few players that make that move, aren't there? Um... It's a, it's a more Mike. well-trodden path than other derbies, isn't it? I nearly, I nearly said Michael Chopper then. That would have been a, a stupid. <laughs> well, why did stupid. I interrupt you? <laughs> um, Robbie Elliott. It's not Robbie Elliott. I play for four clubs at second tier level, including for the aforementioned Sunderland and also for Birmingham. Ah, it's got to be like sort of Steve Bruce era. Um but he went through a lot of players during those years. Mm. Oh, this this is hard. Um, Newcastle and Sunderland. Sort of the 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 two thousands to two thousand and four era of Newcastle and Sunderland is very vague for me because Newcastle were punching in the Champions League whilst Sunderland were bouncing in between. The Premier League and the Championship, um, so it's really hard to pinpoint certain players. Um, but I'm going to go with Andy. Uh, I don't know Andy O'Brien. <laughs> I'm going to go with Andy. Andy. <laughs> it's not Andy O'Brien. Uh, I also have 12 caps for Scotland. Kevin Kyle. He was a crap striker. Kevin Kyle. (laughs) He scored nine goals in 220 championship appearances. I'm not sure how he'd make that many appearances. Got one clue left, Justin. 
I also have a brother who played over 100 Premier League games. The bloody amiobis are coming to my head. How many, how many brothers go through up there that become professional footballers? They've got the long staffs, the amiobis. Um, even bloody Cole Court and his brother. Uh, no, not Leon Court. Um, yeah, this is painfully difficult for me. I don't know why. I don't know whether it's a time of recording. Maybe I'm not quite switched on. Stop making you know, excuses. Recording. Just, just accept your defeat like a man. Um, so he's played for Newcastle and Sunderland. Oh, come on, you are taking the Mickey here. Shh, shh, I'm allowed some deliberation with myself. You, you have had a lot anyone. of deliberation. Give it up. God, no, 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 no. Um, honestly, there's nobody coming to my head. Um, it's the Sunderland thing that's throwing me off. What other, you play for Birmingham City as well? I think you're thinking about that too much. Birmingham City, Birmingham City. I don't know. Um, give up. I'm, I'm going to have to accept. Someone. I'm going to have to accept a loss here because you've taken so long to answer this. I'm Say trying, I, I can't. I can't. Say I can't anyone. even think of anybody. Um, Andy Welsh. It's not Andy Welsh. The player you were looking for was Stephen Coldwell. You piss. Ah! Do you feel like you should have got that? You threw me off with Birmingham because he barely made any appearances for them. <laughs> to, be, oh. to, to be fair, his career is one that has passed me by. I know Gary Coldwell's career a lot more. It's no Stephen Coldwell. He played a lot in, uh, in, in Canada in the MLS, but he was a, a Canadian team. Played a Toronto, lot for Burnley. Toronto, yeah. Yeah, captained Burnley to their Premier League promotion in the playoffs. I know a lot more about Stephen Coldwell. I, that's why I left out just, Burnley, because I thought you might get that. Who else has he played for? The Sunderland, yeah, Sunderland. Newcastle, Newcastle, Sunderland and Birmingham are probably the teams that he might, might well be less known for. I know he played a lot for Sunderland, but still. Didn't really play for tricky. Else, apart from Burnley. Anyway, we're wasting too much time, Justin. 10-6 to myself. Oh, no, not 10-6. 9-6 to myself still, yeah, but I could make it. Points. I could make it 10-6 next week, ladies and gentlemen. So, kind of like the championship title race. This one may be not much of a race at all very soon as I uh, drift away with the Craig Bryson title for this season. But that brings an end to another episode of The Second Tier. Thank you for listening wherever you are. We'll be back again on Sunday to talk about a monumental weekend of championship football. We've got the seven-side derby, of course, and possibly the last East Midlands derby. Start out the question. All happening this weekend, ladies and gentlemen. So we'll be back on Sunday to talk about all the games in the championship and we look forward to seeing you then. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.